spiritual lives. We're struggling in our walk with Christ. All kinds of stuff's happening. We're, we're, we're fighting temptation. We're, we're trying to figure this all out, and we, t- we work on the, the, the parts of, of our walk. Well, if I do this, or if I go here, if I take this class, if I read this book, if I do this, if I act better, if I... We start, we're, we're checking out all the pieces, and really the issue is the power source. It's the power source. We try to do all this stuff to try to get better, more spiritual, more holy, more righteous. And our problem is that we're not plugged into the right thing. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. We're going to continue our series in Romans chapter 8. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 4. Today we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. We're going to talk about what it means to have the mind of the Spirit. There are uh, notes in your worship folder this morning if you want to take those out. They're the one, it's the piece with the three hole punches. And uh, I'd encourage you to just write down things as, as God speaks to you this morning. Well, let's review a little bit from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. What was the main thing we learned? That God is for us. God is for us. We found in those verses that the flesh causes the law, the flesh, that, that human attempt to follow the law, to not have the effect it was intended to. It's been weakened, those verses say. The law's intent was righteousness, but humans couldn't do it. We cannot do it. It is impossible. But then we discovered that Christ died so that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us. That he is for us. And that there is a way for us to step into righteousness through the work of Christ on the cross. We're going to build on that this morning. We're going to start in verse 5. So if you uh, have your sheet, the verses are there. They're also going to be on the screen. You can also turn to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible or pull it up on your app. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You... Christ follower, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In you. God used these words today, this passage, this powerful passage of Scripture to speak to us. May we listen to your spirit and obey. Amen. Well, this passage shows us the harsh reality of who we are apart from the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Who we are apart from the powerful truth of the gospel in our lives versus who we are when the Holy Spirit indwells us and is working through us and we are thinking in the Spirit. Who we are in the gospel. So we're going to start out by looking at verses 5 through 8. We're going to divide this, as you can see on your outline, the the chart here. (coughs) One side we'll call thinking in the flesh and the other side we'll call thinking in the Spirit. 
And in, this pa- in these next few verses, Paul compares the two. He begins by saying, for or because those who live according to the flesh, and then he talks about that. First thing he says is that their, their mind is set on the things of the flesh. See that? They set their minds on the things of the flesh, or they set their minds on the things of the spirit. What does it mean to set our mind on something? It simply means to prefer or enjoy, to dwell on something, to be given over to. It's a way of thinking, okay? It's not just, oh, I had a random thought. It's, no, this is what I prefer. This is where my mind dwells. This is what I'm given over to. He says there's two of these. There's a mind that is set on things of the flesh or set on things of the spirit. The flesh, let's define it. Anything that is minus God. Anything minus God. God is out of the picture. Matthew 6, 23 says, But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus turns to Peter and said, The reason you're asking the question you just asked, which was about Jesus, why don't you do something about what's going to happen to you? Jesus said, No, you're thinking the way on the things of man. You're not thinking on the things of God. You're, you're being given over to a way of thinking that is not what God's plan is. It's minus God. God is out of the picture. That's the flesh. So when you read that word, you've got to realize, okay, the flesh, we try to think, okay, the flesh, the skin, not what it's talking about. The flesh, the humanness of us, our tendency to do things minus God. Versus of the spirit. Setting our minds on things of the Spirit. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace. God keeps this person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. See what happens when there's a mind of the Spirit? He's kept in perfect peace. We're going to talk about that a little more in just a moment. Anything in life that is thought of, that is conceived of, that is seen in relation to their origin in God, being sustained by God, existing for the glory of God, is of the Spirit. So we have the mindset on the things of the flesh, that, those things that are given over to things minus God, versus setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, those, when we are given over to desiring His glory, desiring righteousness, desiring the things of God. Well, then we have this interesting outcome to set the mind on the flesh is what death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace the spirit of death means that there is a presence of the power of death death is always working not only physical death that's working in all of us but spiritual death that the mind set on the things of the flesh the mind minus god is experienced the, po- the presence of the power of death. There is a deadness to spiritual things in the one whose mind is on the things of the flesh versus the presence of the power of life, a liveness, a desire for spiritual things. See, when a mind is filled with death, it defaults to things of the flesh. When, it's d- when, when death kind of takes over just that that humanness of what happens in our body, when that takes over into the spirit, it results 
in the things of the flesh. We start thinking that way. But a mind filled with life is given over to and alive with the things of the Spirit. There's life and peace. Anytime somebody will come into my office and say, I'm st- I just don't feel any peace. If you've asked yourself this question, I just don't feel any peace. What's going on? Go back to, what is my thinking? Am I thinking minus God? Or am I thinking in a way that is seeking to glorify God and live for Him? Am I thinking with godly things in mind? With the truth of the gospel in mind? With the power of the Spirit in mind? Or am I thinking completely on my own? And it says that that mind is hostile to God. Hostile to God. Now, in the other column, it's not here specifically in the verse, but we, could, we can assume that the opposite of hostile, hostile to God would be a friend of God. What's the person that's hostile to God do? We resist God. We are people that in and of ourselves, we love self-determination, self-examination, we love self-enhancement and autonomy, and we don't want any authority telling us what to do. We want our will to be the master of our souls. And we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. See, we don't want to hear it, but by nature, apart from the Holy Spirit, we are hostile to God. You and I are hostile to God without the Holy Spirit in us. We learned that last week. We cannot pull off this righteous requirement of the law because we are hostile to God. We need the Holy Spirit in in order to make us even start to think in the Spirit so that our actions and the way that we, the way we say things, the things that we do, the way that we approach life is pleasing to God. Then it says that this mind does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot submit. Well, the opposite of that would be that it trusts God, right? We can imply that. This cannot. Why can it not submit to God's law? Because it's in bondage. It's being bound up. This mind is so bound up apart from God, it's tied down. We can't, it cannot move. It cannot do it. It's in bondage to sin and unrighteousness in and of itself. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, the opposite of that we can imply would be to bring glory to God. The mind that's thinking in the flesh cannot please God. Apart from the redeeming, life-changing work of the Holy Spirit, all we as people do is displease God. (laughs) Now, I don't necessarily mean in our actions. I mean, we all know people like this. Some of them are sitting next to you. They're wonderful parents. They give to good causes. They go to church. They're involved in their church. They're involved in the PTA and in their community and they do good things and they're great husbands and wives. And we would say, well, these are good people. We would say, but I'm a good person. But here's what displeases God, is insubordination to God. Having a mindset that is of the flesh, that is apart from God. We can do good things apart from God. What are we told about the good things that we do apart from God? They're just... They're just junk. They're filthy rags, right? They have, they, there's nothing really there because the mindset is not to please God. It's when we look at things without reference to God. We don't do things for the glory of God. It's that life that is not relying on God. 
And so even the good deeds that are done without a zeal for God's glory aren't pleasing to him. We also discover in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 a very similar passage. It says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. They're just silliness. They're just stupid. This doesn't make any sense. I don't, I'm not going to accept the things of the Spirit versus a desire for the things of the Spirit. They're not able to understand the things of God versus being able to understand spiritual things. Some of you have experienced this even in the last year. You've given your life to Christ. You read the Bible before and you're thinking, holy cow, what in the world does this mean? God moves in, calls you to himself, takes over your life. You read the same passage and you think, this makes total sense. God is speaking to me now. And we start, we start speaking a kind of a different language, like, this is what I got out of the word today. God spoke to me. I heard his voice speak to me when I was in prayer. That is silliness, right? Apart from life in the spirit, that is just silliness. That is ludicrous. We're not able to, those in the flesh, we are unable to understand God, not understand spiritual things, because they're spiritually discerned. The spirit discerns them for us. So what do we take from this? Well, I think this is an opportunity for, to let God evaluate, for us to listen to his voice. You know, we need to ask God, is, is my thinking in the flesh or in the spirit? Do I, do I tend to fall on the left side of this chart or the right side? Or do, am I somewhere in the middle? Do I, am I a Christ follower who, who just really desires to hear from God and yet I struggle sometimes thinking this way and I allow myself to go back to a way of thinking that is fleshly and is minus God. How does my thinking express itself? How does this come out in my daily living? You know, Paul in Romans 7 had this struggle. He struggled with living out the truth of who he was in Christ. And so you find yourself, maybe you're like that, and you find yourself choosing fleshly things. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you don't even have a relationship. That right side makes no sense. It's something you've not experienced, but maybe there's this pull in you today that wants to experience that relationship with Jesus. You, you've, you're looking at this chart thinking, I've got nothing in me that leans to, to a mind that's in the spirit to living this way. Ask God, which way is my bent? Is it to, to think in the spirit or in the flesh? So I want us to just stop for a moment just 90 seconds or so, and I want us to bow our heads, and I want you to just ask this question. God, which way do I think? Which way do I think? And let him answer that question for you. Let's just be quiet before him for these next few moments. And then as he speaks to you, maybe write it down. Write down what he says to you, and then we're going to get back to that.
God, we are grateful that you speak to us. In these moments, we are seeking to, to tune our, our hearing into you. As you speak to us, help us to listen and then obey. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let me remind you of an amazing, precious truth that we've discovered so far in these verses, that what the flesh could not do, what the mind minus God, what we as humans could not do, Jesus accomplished for us. Giving us the ability to fulfill the law through his death. That the thing that God spoke to you about, here's this change you need to make, here's this way you think, guess what, you don't have to do it on your own. That the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in your life, as the Holy Spirit comes into your life, gives you then the ability to do that, to make that change, to think that new way. Why? Because He does it for us. Well, so I think a, a logical question at this point would be, okay, we're talking about thinking, so I have a question for you. What's on your mind? And why? What's on your mind? So we're going to talk about this for just a few minutes. Just get real practical here. I want to show you something that I think will just really help you kind of discover how does my thinking work. So if you'll turn your note sheet over, you'll see this cute little train on the back, okay? And just so happens, <coughs> I have a train here too. Funny how that works, right? It's like somebody planned it. Let's talk about this train, and we're going to use this as us, how our mind works, okay? So we're going to start back here at the, yeah. I was told this morning they don't have these really anymore, okay? Now my, f my memory of anything with cabooses was the Indiana Jones movie where he was stuck in one with snakes. Not a good memory, okay. Caboose, where does it come on a train? At the end, okay? Keep that in mind, at the end, okay? Does it lead the train? No, nothing, there's nothing in a caboose that is, it moves it either way. It has to be pushed or pulled, right? All right, we're going to call this emotions, okay? This is our emotions. The way we feel is where we can often let our lives lead. A lot of us lead our lives right here. Our lives are lived in a caboose. We're controlled by our emotions. Do I feel happy? Do I feel sad? Do I discourage, feel discouraged? Do I feel alone? Do I feel depressed or excited or powerful? Why? Because we let circumstances control the way we feel. If things are going well, we feel one way, and our emotions will show it, right? If things are going less than well, we feel a completely different way, and our emotions show it. And we live our lives right there. Living by our emotions, and they control us. There's a problem. The caboose isn't supposed to be in control. There's another car in front of that. What's causing that? It's the way we're thinking. Okay? This car is our thinking. And just for the illustration, it worked out that it's empty. 
Important what we put in there. Okay? There's some stains from something that was in there. But it, we, we choose what to fill this up with, our thinking. Our dominant conscious thoughts that occupy our minds, that's, that's our thinking. What we think about in a given situation or over an event or because of a person, they can take over our emotions, right? See, these are tied together, aren't they? We get to thinking a certain way and our emotions are pulled along. You say, well, how does that work? Think about somebody at work. You start thinking a certain way about them, right? You believe a certain thing. You start, your brain goes to a certain way. You start thinking. It becomes this, you know, this constant thought in your mind about that person being whatever. Guess what? Your emotions will follow. Okay? You get discouraged or fed up or frustrated. Okay? Your emotions pull along behind that thinking. If our thinking is optimistic, then we're happy. And we have a sense of contentment, don't we? Okay, we're happy. We, that's our thinking's kind of good. You know, we have a sense of optimism. We're happy, and our emotions show it. There's a sense of contentment. If our thinking is negative or even questioning, like I don't even know if I know what's going on, let alone if I, you know, maybe I'm negative toward it, we will show that in our sadness, in our depression, and our pessimism. The emotions follow. Make sense? Okay. Well, there's another car. I don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's the Holy Spirit. <coughs> okay, he's here fueling. Now, I wanted to plug this in because there's this cool red button that says press. And I'm just ADD enough to want to press it, okay? But I don't think it would do anything. What causes our thinking to be one way or the other? Negative or positive? What is pulling along our thinking and thus our emotions? Something's in front of it, right? It's hope. This car is hope. It starts fueling us. Are we living in a place that is hopeful and forward-looking? That the, the future looks bright? We, ha we have a hope in the future? We have a hope in eternity? Or are we concerned constantly about the future? What's it going to bring? What am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? What am I, where am I going to work? What's going to happen? How am I going to pay for this? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen overseas? What's going to happen? Are the terrorists going to come? Are they going to... Are, are, see what I'm saying? We become... We, we look into the future and we can become hopeless. Maybe sometimes we're even stuck in the past. And that brings down our hope. and makes us hopeless the past of what has happened to us or maybe because of us. When that happens, see, we, we start thinking differently. We, we, we have that, the past is causing us to, to feel hopeless here. We have no real hope. So our thinking is, well, this stuff happened in the past, therefore it's going to happen now. It's going to happen again. I'm seeing a pattern here. This was the past. I get stuck there. I can't move on. We start having thoughts of that we, we can't do this Christian life. It's God's not you know, going to give me enough. I'm never going to be able to accomplish it. Or this happened to me and I don't see how I'm going to pull out of that. And then what happens? Depression and confusion and frustration and sadness. All because of a lack of hope. You know, all that will cause us to have a 
lack of hopefulness and positive outlook for the future. Then our thinking goes in a negative direction and our emotions take over. Wow, right? So what's critical here? Well, a couple things. First, the train cannot lead from the back, right? This is going nowhere, right? It's just sitting there. I could press that button and it wouldn't do anything, okay? It's going nowhere. It's not meant to do that, but this is where we live our lives and we, we, tr we try to push that caboose along. And it's led by our emotions and we're trying to get our thinking all figured out and we have this lack of hope and we're struggling. <coughs> this is what happens, right? Our emotions that come from wrong thinking that is pulled along by lack of hopefulness. This doesn't work. This does. This can work. The engine's in charge. We're going to call this trust or belief or faith. Put any of those words that make sense to you. It's what pulls our mind in a certain direction. Trust is always pulling us towards something that we have decided is trustworthy. Now, it may not be, but we've decided it's trustworthy. Something that we're believing in, that's what's pulling us forward. That our mind somehow believes it is, so it's, we're letting it pull us that way. In reality, it can be completely false, but it is pulling us that direction. See, our trust can be in the wrong thing. If our mind believes the destination that, we're, that this is taking to us is credible, then our trust will pull in that direction. And then suddenly we see that everything else is pulled then behind that trust. Whether it's going to something true or not, our trust is in it. The key here is to get this engine of trust pulling our train, not the caboose, but what and who we place our trust in is key. If we put our trust in and believe in something that is false, it's going to pull us in a bad direction, in a direction that is not godly. Well, I would propose that the gospel, the truth that God created us, but even though we rebelled against him, showed his love for us and called us to know him and bought us with a price so that we could indeed be in relationship with him through the blood of Jesus is the only trustworthy place to put our trust. It's all we've got. See, if we have a direction problem, the issue is that we're trust, what we're trusting in is faulty. Okay? And I would submit that this is pretty easy to see in our lives because if we're trying to put our trust, we can evaluate whether we're putting our trust in the right thing. We can go back some cars and see what's going on. If my emotions are a mess and I feel like I'm being pulled in the wrong direction, go back up a few cars and say, what am I putting my trust in? Here's a question you can ask yourself in those moments when there's temptation, when there, you're, you are struggling, when you're not sure of an answer, when you are confused, when there's something going on in your life or the lives of people around you, ask this, what is truth? What is truth? What is God's truth here? It can get us right back on track if we place our trust in the truth of God. When we place our trust in the gospel, we understand, I'm placing my trust in the fact that the Holy Spirit, how does that apply in this passage? The Holy Spirit lives in me, therefore, 
He's pulling the trigger. He's there. That's what we're putting our trust in. He's the engine behind this. Then I have hope. Why? Then I don't have to pull this off all by myself. And then our thinking gets right, right? Because then we can concentrate on stopping trying to please God and just obey him out of love. And what that'll create in us is emotions of joy and peace and a sense of well-being and a sense of, I, just, I desire to just keep following him because this is going in a good direction. There's one more piece here that we're going to talk about, but let me look at, let's look at this, these verses in Philippians chapter 4 real quick. Verses 6 through 8, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. And then because I think Paul is intuitive enough to know what our next question will be, well, well, what do we get? What are we supposed to think about? Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Focus on these things. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think now we're to the track. What track do we have this on? Bible reading and memorization and meditating on the truth of the Word of God, growing in our understanding of Scripture, building intense, intimate times of prayer is vital. Because these daily disciplines direct our trust toward the right destination. We have good track, right? Why do some of us go off track? Because we've left holes <laughs> in, our, in the truth that we're trying to, to follow. And it's, it gets us off. Of our destination this causes our hope to increase see when we when we're taking in truth and the Word of God is in us and we're spending time with God in prayer and we hear his voice and he's speaking to us our hope increases and our believing and our thinking can stay focused and then that's gonna bring about peace and joy we need to make sure that we are being pointed regularly in the right direction while being sure that we are fueling this engine of our trust in God and his truth. We talked a few minutes ago about small groups. Great way to do that. Nothing better than to be in a group of people who know you. And when you're struggling, you can say, this is what I'm going through. And they can say, okay, yeah, we're seeing your emotions are all over the place. Let's talk about what you might be thinking. You, you seem to have a lack of hope. What, what are you putting your trust in? And these friends can step in beside us and join hands with us and get us moved back into the right direction. Very powerful stuff. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on the things above, not on things of earth. Are our thoughts eternal? Are we thinking eternally or temporally? Is it all about the stuff that happens here? <laughs> or is it about this big picture of eternity? can really start with a couple simple questions. Where is my mind most often focused? What do I let my mind dwell on and ponder? When it's quiet and there's no noise and I can just, I'm just to myself, where does my mind go? What am I pondering? What am I thinking about? Your answer will tell you where your engine's headed. Now, it's all been a little heavy, so I want to finish looking at this passage in verses 9 through 11 with three 
I hope, very encouraging things. The power of belonging to God, this idea that we belong to Him. Three effects of the Spirit in us. If we're going to think in the Spirit, then we have to be confident that the Spirit's in us. Here are three effects. We see it in verses 9 through 11. We already read those. Let me add to that, though, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, when I was growing up in my church, they stopped reading right there, and then we had a sermon on why not to smoke. Okay? It does continue. That's not really what the passage is about. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. As, as, as a response to this purchase that God has made of us, glorify God in your body. Here's three effects, three promises. You have victory over the flesh. Remember? Verse 9, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. You're not in the flesh. You're, you're, you're grabbing hold of lies. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. We are in control of the Holy Spirit. How does that take place? Well, the Spirit, we're told here, is in us. And there's kind of a, a two-sided coin here. The Holy Spirit is in you, but He also takes the, so he takes the initiative to move in, right? And then He also takes the initiative to place us, other verses tell us, in Himself. So He's in us, and we are in Him. And you say, okay, explain that to us. Thank you, let's move on. We are in Him. He is in us. Intertwined. See, we see the Holy Spirit as this outside force, but He's right with us. Let me give you an example. See, He takes initiative in every moment of our life. Let's just think about temptation for a moment. If you're a believer, you know this. That in the midst of temptation, there is always the voice of the Holy Spirit in those moments that says, listen to me. Well, this sounds more hollow than I had hoped. Listen to me. I know the way here. I know the way through this minefield. I know what to do. Listen to me and this is going to be fine, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Many of you, I talk to somebody every week that I'll, they'll say, this is, this is the struggle I was having. I'm struggling with this sin. Okay, where were the outs? Let's go back and look at this temptation. Ten times out of ten. Well, I heard this, and I could have done this, and God put this in. See what happens? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful even when we're not. God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now let me explain what, you know, real quick. Our ability is about that long, okay? That's all we got. See, why, why, is, he not, why are, is he not allowing us to be tempted beyond our ability? Because he has all ability. With the temptation, he will also provide what? The way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's always there. The Holy Spirit is always working. There is victory over the flesh. Second. Second effect of the Spirit in us. You belong to and are sealed in Christ. You belong to and are sealed in Christ. This belonging is because of his purchase of us. He purchased us. He's the seal. He's the completer of the purchase. He put the rubber stamp 
of paid for on us. You were bought with a price. What was the price? The death of Jesus. Now I hope this doesn't sound horrible to be bought. And I understand that Lori just talked about human trafficking. It's not what we're talking about. You see, this was a purchase of love that had to happen if we were ever to experience real life. Remember, we could not achieve godliness and would never be able to spend eternity with God. We could never do enough had Jesus not stepped in and said, I will pay the price with my life. We belong and are sealed in Christ. This is what puts us in life, the life-giving control of the Holy Spirit. His death, His sacrifice, the placement of the Holy Spirit in us to do this work, to get to be thinking this way. See, in order to have the mind of the Spirit, it's the mind of, it's his, the, mind of the Spirit. It's not our mind. It's Him living and thinking through us. And then third, an effect of the Spirit in us. You have been and will be raised from the dead. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Didn't we say, though, that the body is dying? That this flesh is dying? Yes. We had a problem, death in our body. We had no hope. But the indwelling Spirit gives us resurrection life. In reality, it's as though we, are, we really are being saved in stages, aren't we? No sin is held against us now. We are completely forgiven, but the effects of sin are going to happen as long as we live in this fleshly body. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming, believer, when the, that piece of our salvation will be complete. And this mortal body will rise up and forever be changed. See, it plays out this way. Because we belong to Christ, because we have the Spirit of Christ, because we've been bought with His blood, we will one day be raised with Him, finally complete, with full victory, with true life, both now and in the future. The promise of life in the Spirit, a mind focused on the things of God for His glory. Last week, we learned the statement, that God is for us. We want to build on that this week. Believing that God is for us means depending on His power source in us. Believing that God is for us means depending on His power source in us. Right back to the vacuum. We have to know the power source. That power source is in us allowing us to live the righteous life that we never could on our own. Are you tired of trying? Are you tired of trying to do this, pulling this off on your own? Is it just exhausting? What God would have for you today is that believing that God is for you means depending on His power source in you. So as the worship team sings in a moment, we're going to worship I want us to do it this way. You don't have to stand. You can stay where you're at. 
I'd encourage you, what did you write on your sheet before? Or what have you written since? What, what is God saying to you right now? We need to make sure we take the time to listen and to respond. What's he telling you? That you need to get the right power source? That you've been listening to lies and it's gotten your hope out of whack, your thinking's a mess, and your emotions are all over the place. But you, where are you today? These prayer partners are here this morning, willing to pray for you and with you and over you. Just share what God's saying. Maybe you can't quite figure it out. Try to do your best to get it out there and let them discern what God may be doing in your life. That's what they're here for. Maybe you just want to come and pray here. Maybe you want to stay in your seat and kneel or sit there and really ponder what the Spirit is saying to you today. All right? Let's worship together.